Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So we were in Highmark Stadium, Section 315, sitting with the Mafia, Aaron Rodgers is in town, the Big Bad Wolf. This is the stat that mattered. When the Green Bay Packers offense was on the field, I know we could talk about a couple of the touchdown drives, they had seven total drives combined that had 45 plays, 218 yards, 21 minutes, and 37 seconds of possession, and they scored three points. Their identity right now is broken uh, when it comes to how they survive in the modern NFL. I, I truly don't know <laughs> where they go from here, but uh, we're going to try to talk about it a lot. So, uh, Jay, roll the intro. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, uh, Buffalo edition. We're sitting here in the uh, the wonderful, beautiful, amazing uh, Rock Power Report studios. They allowed us to to use their recording space for this week, uh, and it is what two uh, twenty in the afternoon <laughs> on Monday. We got home uh, like I don't know one thirty two a.m. twelve last hours night. ago, <laughs> tailgating. Pretty much the whole day eating ridiculous food, tri-tip and burn ends and brisket and whatever the hell those little buffalo cream puff things were <laughs> that were insane. Uh, it was a long day for us. Full disclosure, we we didn't we didn't get to watch a whole lot of football yesterday, so it's a little bit of a pared down show, and we're only going to talk about the games that we actually have watched that we can actually comment on because. If there's one thing we will not do on this show, it is bullshit you and talk about games that we haven't actually watched. So we're only going to give takes that are backed up by things that we saw and things that we've researched. So we're only talking about a few different games this year. And we have we have a couple different, uh, you know, scheme talk things we want to get into, analytic things we want to get into. Um, but we're we're not going to pretend here on Bootleg. We're, if we talk about a game, it's because we watched it. Yeah, it was a fantastic way to spend a day. I would highly recommend it if you're into football in any ways or just partying and having a good time, food, you name it. All of that is present and right in your face in Buffalo and in the best possible way. And uh, since we're in the Rock Pile Studios, we're going to celebrate with a couple of cold Montuckies. Montucky's kind enough to sponsor sponsor Rockpile, and uh, they have a fridge right under their table, which is better than <laughs> it's either dangerous. of our setups. It's it is super dangerous. It is also dangerous, but we're gonna we're gonna have Montucky's as the beer of the week. But we had a great time in Buffalo. The people, 
were amazing. The food was off the charts. The football was fun. The weather was even nice, which yeah. is not always the case in Buffalo, but it certainly was last night. It was perfect fall football weather. Can you tell that I lost my voice a little bit last uh, night? I was hoping mine would come back this morning, yeah. and it did. So there you go. Most of the time when I was screaming, by the way, it was... Josh, please no. Please no. Oh, son of a bitch, Josh. Please, God, no. <laughs> that kind of showed up last night. That's that's a, one of my main takeaways is 2018-2019 um, Josh Allen, where he's like trying way too hard to make a play instead of throwing the ball away, or like the first interception. I swear to God, he could have just kept running and got a first down. It, those picks were brutal, but... This is a good enough team where they can survive them against a club like Green Bay that's very one-dimensional and can't really punish them for it. If they pulled that against the Chiefs, if they pull that against the Bengals later this year, assuming Jamar Chase is back, they will have trouble getting away with that. So in a way, it's a concern, but at the same time, if you're going to blow out the Packers by 10 points... You at least want to play sloppily enough so the coaches can still get on you on Monday morning, so uh, so you feel like your shit don't stink, you know. Um, so I I think that there's a lot that they can learn, and for a team that's as good as them, it's still blowing out the Packers by ten points. Like you want to come away with with things you can improve on, and they have a lot they can improve on. Yeah, it looked like they were gonna run this going away. First quarter, second quarter, they roll up a decent lead, couple of touchdowns, the stadium's rocking, the Packers are faltering, and it looked like this was going to be a boat race. And everybody was really happy about that. And then it just slowed down. Yeah. The stat you gave in the opening is they had a lot that didn't end up accounting for a lot. They didn't mm-hmm. score any points from it, but they had possession, they had plays. Even into the third quarter, it really felt like Buffalo was letting them hang around. And Green Bay puts up an 11 play, 6-minute, six, 47-second you know, drive. Just sapped the Buffalo defense. The crowd got quiet, and they just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. Didn't get any points out of it. Yeah. But it really took the air out of the sails, and it felt like if at any moment Buffalo just could drop a touchdown, and again, Josh making some crazy decisions near the goal line where it looked like he could easily score and just didn't. And so Green Bay hangs around and hangs around against a really good team. That's going to cost them. The Packers aren't a really good team right now. It's kind of crazy that Buffalo still rolls up a win by 10 points. Felt like they could have had it any time in the second half, and they just couldn't do it. And I I do kind of want to touch on the Packers. And we talked about them last week in terms of, like, their success rate. And, you know, they have a very high success rate in the NFL. Success rate defined by, like, you know, percentage of yards defined to the sticks per down. Mm -hmm. First down, I think it's uh, 40%. Second down, I think it's 60%. Third down, success rate's defined by do you move the chains or not. They have a very high overall success rate, but their third down success rate in particular is low, and around midfield, their third down success rate is abysmally low. And so they they typically had a whole bunch of drives stall out midfield, and we kind of saw them switch that up this week because they were able to run the ball so well. And there were some drives where it was like toss, inside zone, outside zone, trap, 
power, toss, 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 flare screen, because they basically use that as an extension of the run game, where it's like, if we're getting three out and three outside, it's basically just a run with extra steps. And they would do that over and over and over again. And so they're getting four yards, five yards, setting up third and one, run it again with A.J. Dillon, because if he gets ahead of steam. And so their success rate was super high. Like, they were actually able to keep the ball moving over midfield because they were just running. You know, they weren't taking a, a first down shot play and then being in second and 10. And once they're in second and 10, like they're fucked because they, they can't really dig it out of that hole. So they were just running and running and running. But even though they were able to get over that kind of like midfield hurdle, they couldn't close it out in the red zone. Like they had a couple good, uh, a couple good plays in the red zone. Like they had the, the crazy Romeo Dubs touchdown which was an incredible adjustment on a great ball. Yep. But, like, they stalled out on the 26-yard line on fourth and one because they they just they lost steam. Um, and their only other score was on that, uh, you know, kind of deep over that converted to a post late. But, like, they didn't even get to the red zone on that one. So I think it was an interesting kind of switch up from the rest of the year for them where they went all in on efficiency. And they were efficient. But the thing is, if you if you can only score with 9, 10, 11, 12 play drives, if that's the only way you can score, you can't keep up blow for blow with Josh Allen. Because even when Josh Allen doesn't play well, he's putting up 27. And so that's kind of my concern with them is like, yeah, this formula can work. They can win with it, but not against great teams. And if they were using this you know, previously, like in the Commanders game, like, yeah, they probably would have beat the Commanders. But if your max ceiling this year is probably would have beat the Commanders, <laughs> that's not what Packers fans want to see. And so I think that, yeah, they'll they'll probably end up above 500. Maybe they make a run at a seven seed, maybe. But do I expect them to get past the divisional round, you know, playing against the Eagles or playing against any other team that can chunk you by running the ball 40 times a game? Like, I... It works, but how sustainable is it? That's the question I have, and I, I don't think it's a good answer. No, and last night their play calling felt really binary. Yeah. They started off with a little bit of a mix, sprinkle in the run, sprinkle in the pass. Rodgers tried a few things. They didn't work, and they went to this just like you know hybrid smash mouth scheme, right? We're going to run something, but it's going to be a run. It's going to be inside. Yeah. It's going to be outside. We're going to, you know, short screen pass that's just a sub for the run, but it was just run, 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 run. And it was so startling to me mm-hmm. to see an Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay team not throw the ball for, like, an entire quarter. <laughs> Guy sitting next to me goes, has Rodgers even attempted a pass in the last, like, quarter? And I was like, I honestly don't think so. And at that point, he was, like, 9 for 18 or something. And that just doesn't seem at all like an Aaron Rodgers stat going into, you know, the mid-third quarter of a football game. And they just ran and ran and ran and ran. And when it finally dawned on them, hey, this isn't going to work. We got to go. They switched. And the coin flipped. And that's what I mean by binary. And all of a sudden it was throw, throw, five wide, throw. And Aaron started to look really comfortable. And they started to move the ball. And I was like, aha, this is the Packers team I've seen and know. But you got to be able to mesh those things. Mm -hmm. And it was either one or the other, and that just seemed awkward. I feel like once Christian Watson went down, which was really, it was like his first touch of the game. Super early, yeah. Um, 
I think they were like, wow, we got Romeo Dubs and nobody else. Like, I, I it, they almost seemed terrified yeah. to throw. And so they were just like, we're going to do everything we can to make this the Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon game. And for a time, they were able to make something happen with it. But, like, once it's 27 to or 24 to 7 at halftime, like, you can't run your way out of that kind of hole. Not here, not in that moment, not in that game, not against that quarterback. So, you know, and, and there's Packer fans that got on me. It was like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, we can't throw. And it's like, that's my point, right? Like, yeah. this team is broken. You can only do one thing. That's a problem. So, for me, the ceiling for the Packers has already been set this year. And I go back to the draft, which is, you know, you your yours and mine bread and butter season where we were saying the entire time like George Pickens you know like if he's there in the first round like he's perfect because of everything he does on back shoulder fades and he's such a, a good like ball winner in the air like he's perfect for Aaron Rodgers skill set and the way he blocks and the way he blocks like he is the ideal receiver for this team and they passed on him twice they took two other Georgia Bulldogs one of which Quay Walker by the way got ejected last night with the dumbest penalty of the night like it, it, it's it's easy to say oh hindsight's twenty twenty. even at the time we were saying we would rather have George Pickens than Quay Walker and that decision so far is coming back to bite them in the ass and they they should have to live with that and they are I was gonna say they're having <laughs> to live with that right now and they're seeing that inability, and we talked about this over the summer in the divisional preview series, like their X factor, their X receiver that could bail them out of poor decisions or poor play calling or play poor play timing. It didn't matter. Throw it up to Devontae, mm-hmm. right? Throw it up to Devontae, and eight times out of ten, he's going to win that, keep the drive going, score the touchdown, make a big play, whatever it is. And they were very reliant on that and because of that defenses had to skew and go to that side and then they could open up to Tunyon or Lazard or Mm -hmm. any of the other weapons right but now without that coverage on those other weapons is a lot easier and they don't have a guaranteed go-to guy and so they you know you get Packers fans in your mention saying what do you want us to do we can't throw yes we know problem (laughs) and so does everybody else and so you're having to resort to basically Aaron Jones playing superhero ball, which he can. He is a superstar and amazing, and he made more out of nothing on runs last night than I think I've seen any other running back do maybe in any other week this season. He got contact behind the line of scrimmage on probably 70% of his runs. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Still got three, still got five, kept the chains moving. He's an incredible player, but that's not enough, and it's not enough when you come up against a team with a true – Offensive weapon at quarterback and a varied skill set who can run and pass, and they're not going to top those folks. And even if they do sneak into the back end of the playoffs, which I don't think they probably will if they keep playing like this, but even if they do, it's going to be an early exit. Uh, All right, why don't we get to the first game of this week, which we haven't got to really do an in-depth review of because even though we did do a live stream for it, (laughs) brought to you by Prize Picks, And I was here for that. And he was here for that. And they let me back in, so we must have done something Well, you right. brought liquor, so yes. that's probably you why. You have to tell him I bought my way back in. <laughs> but we uh, that was the first game, and then uh, I flew out the next day out to Buffalo and, uh, and met up with you here. Uh, Ravens, Buccaneers, now that we've had a chance to kind of collect our thoughts on what actually happened, 
I kind of want to give Lamar his flowers because, you know, you've got a Rashad Bateman injury, you've got a Mark Andrews injury again, and he's making it work with Isaiah Likely and, you know, Demarcus Robinson, like just getting target after target after target and making it work, making some great catches, doing some good stuff after the catch, like breaking tackles. Um, Dev Duve came up clutch, you know, not to mention Lamar having a, a couple nice runs, which he always does, but... Like that, that to me showed that Lamar 100% deserves the money he's asking for, should be paid. We can have the conversation about top five quarterback. There's a whole bunch of guys that you could slot in the fifth spot. He's still at least top 10. And I think that with his uh, ceiling, excuse me, and, and dynamism, even though he's not commonly seen as one of the five top guys yep. he can still beat any of the five top guys any given Sunday because he can make some plays that even those guys can't like he's more dynamic in terms of making something out of nothing than even Josh Allen is and I say that in the city of Buffalo Chris don't kill me he's over in the corner right now <laughs> but like Lamar can turn broken plays into 70-yard rushes in any given moment, and he has a cannon for an arm, and he's smart, and when he's well-protected and actually has good, well-designed passing games drawn up for him, he could be a great thrower as well. So he is seen generally outside of the top five guys, but he's just as dangerous as all of them. And to me, like he's kind of picking up where he left off last year, where we're like, oh my God, he's the front runner for MVP, and then everybody got hurt, including him. Now he's showing that that's not a fluke. He still 100% could be the MVP this year because he's beating the Buccaneers with Isaiah Likely and Demarcus Robinson and Dev Duve and, and Gus Edwards. And Ricard. Name, and Ricard running <laughs> stick routes for some weird fucking reason. Like uh... it, he's in that system which we talk about negatively quite a lot uh, in terms of the passing game, with those weapons and still gutting out wins. And that's why I kind of see the Ravens as the snake in the grass because they've had some rough games, the Giants game for one. And yet, I think if you line up Baltimore against any other AFC team, they will not be favored against any of the top three AFC teams. But would I be shocked if they won? Absolutely not, because Lamar is a freak. He's crazy good. And I, I think that, you know, people need to start respecting him for what he is, which is a quarterback. A quarterback and an MVP caliber one at that. Fully agree. Longtime Lamar Jackson stand has shown that he can be an MVP in many ways, besides the season he won one. And I think when we give Greg Roman and his system a lot of garbage, which we think is well deserved. Greg Roman's system works like they win football games with it. We would like to see it work another way because there are skills that Lamar Jackson has that don't get to be fully utilized. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see that arm, that that section in the game last night between the Packers and the Bills where Aaron Rodgers was like, all right, everybody line up, go wide, and I'm just going to start hitting people. Yeah. I'm going to make crazy pinhole over-the-shoulder throws into baskets. Lamar has that ability, and we get to see it so rarely because it's just not how Greg Roman runs a railroad. Yeah, 
like he is not going to line up three wide receivers on a given play and have all of them out on patterns. They do it 9% of the time, it, I think, last time we checked. And, and <laughs> one of those is usually pure decoy. It's not yeah. even really a check route. So the idea of having four or five wide receivers or a guy like Isaiah Likely, who is a wide receiver in a tight end's body, yeah. like as, you know, and and having Lamar back there just making decisions and using that absolute cannon pinpoint accuracy and running the offense that way. That's something as football fans, like we're, we just want to see it. We're mm-hmm. hungry for it. We're greedy. We're like, well, yeah, we know it works the other way with the bang and run game and a selection of three tight ends and a fullback and one receiver that you throw to occasionally. We just, we'd like to see something that utilizes more of that balanced skill set because look, him running like QB power option right now is just, it's free. Forget it. It's free. You're, you're yeah. getting yardage, and you might give up 35 on any given play. That's cool, and we've seen it. But that can be a part of your offense, not the lead play in your offense. And we want to see that other side sort of built out. And we're just sort of greedy and like, give it to me because we know he can do it. And it what galls us both is when fans or commentators or anything else say, "Well, he can't throw," and we're like. Mm, you're not watching when he actually does because it's beautiful. And by the way, speaking of that run game, in terms of how they designed it, even Greg Roman, who we think of as like the best run game guy in the league, or one of the best one run of the game best. designers in the league, you know, him or Kyle or Sean or whoever, mm-hmm. um, even he, I feel like, wasn't really in his bag in terms of designing the run game because what did we say going into that game? That's actually a good transition. I'm going to throw up my prize pick slip that I had in that game, which I won $100 on, by the way. Uh, I got four out of five. Almost got five out of five. I just needed Lamar to, like, break one more run. I would have had it. But the garbage time king. Still won 100 bucks on it. But the reason why I put Gus Edwards over 45 and a half was because of what happened to Tampa against Carolina which was they got gashed with outside zone, outside zone, outside zone over and over and over again, and they showed on tape that Devin White could not handle it, being isolated in space. Like, if he if he had a, a tackle climb up on him backside and they just let the end go uh, and, and the tackle climbed up on him backside, like, he wasn't going to be able to get off the block. And, and they gashed them over and over in that game. So I was like, if Baltimore runs outside zone, they're going to gash them. And they didn't for most of the game. And Gus had like 17 yards. All of a sudden, they called outside zone lead in the second half. And he popped it for like 35. And I'm like, there you go. And they started calling it more and more and more. And they got going. And like, that's why, (laughs) side point, that's why, A, I think that Gus Edwards is a very good running back. Because if you just give him that one little crease, he can break it. Um, But B, that's also why I have a lot of concerns about Tampa this year, because it used to be that you weren't going to run anything on them. But this year, for whatever reason, A, the edge rushers are not playing as well against the run, and they lost Shaq, which was awful. Um, But Devin White is also having a horrible year. Like, I, I don't care about player accolades or whatever he's got. Like, you watch the tape, he is not playing well. And he's got his ass kicked the last couple games, both in the coverage and against the run. And, like, the one thing he's been doing well is blitzing, but okay. That, like, linebackers got to do more than that. 
And like I can distinctly trace their last two losses to Devin White getting exposed against the run over and over and over again. And that was why I picked Gus for over, which that hit. But like beyond the whole like, oh, yeah, we can use film study to do like nice, you know, bets on price picks. Like beyond that point, just talking real football, the Bucks have a fucking problem. They have several. And that's that's the real problem is he has been awful to put a point on a White's been like beyond terrible. It's pretty rare that we see a player performance that creates almost a universal call from fans, from commentators who are not fans of that team that said, he played bad enough. He needs to sit. Yeah. Like, he needs to sit right now. Because if he doesn't, they're going to keep losing. It's that bad. Mm -hmm. And it's been a couple weeks in a row now. And before that, it wasn't great. It's not like he was riding a high and he fell off. He was riding a, oh, people aren't paying attention and everybody else is covering up for the weaknesses. And then the last two weeks, the lid came off. He got exposed. He played terribly, like abjectly mm -hmm. terribly, to the point where people said, that's it. He's got to go, yeah. regardless of anything, because he was never great against the pass, but he had range against the run. Mm -hmm. And the defensive line of the Bucks, Vita Vea, the edges you talked about playing the run, they were stout against the run. This is not a team that gave up free yards on the ground. And this year they are, and it's not in one place. It's not one player. They're giving up. They're getting run for seven right through the A-gap. They're giving up 35 to Gus around the edge because they won't shut it down. So it's not like one problem. It would be easier to fix to say, hey, look, we just got to pinch the A-gap. We've already got the outside contained. Just do that. Tighten up. Better execution. They right? just run anywhere Vita's not, and they're getting success. Because the edges, and Sha this has never really been Shaq Barrett's thing, but like, you know, one of the things that JPP did really well was he basically would play a gap and a half as an edge where he would peek outside and, you know, use 35 inch arms or whatever, <laughs> and then shed back in. And it gave the linebackers so much freedom where they didn't have to bite up and they could just kind of keep scraping over the edge because they knew JPP was going to go back inside. And Joe Tryon Shrinka, who we both loved as a prospect, he's not at that level as a run defender yet where he he's got the physical ability where we're talking about instincts and technique where the linebackers can trust him to if if you're going to play outside play outside if you're going to shoot inside shoot inside like you can almost see uh Levante in particular like when he's playing off Joe he doesn't really know exactly what he's going to do and so he almost kind of hesitates and if you hesitate by one step like especially against a team like the Ravens like you're going to be out of position and so I almost kind of want them to simplify it where it's like Joe if you get a down block away from you go inside because that means the puller's coming your way go inside let the linebackers go over the top don't try to box it and then go inside like just pick one fucking shoulder and hit that shoulder so the linebackers know what to do. But JPP is a veteran. Like, he could kind of get away with it a little bit. But, like, young players, just do the one thing. Do the one thing you're supposed to do in the fit, and then the linebackers know how to fit around you. Right, because if you introduce that uncertainty, for those of you that uh, maybe aren't as interested in the you know nuances of defensive play, 
think of this as running backs reading their blocks from an offensive line. It's the exact same mm-hmm. thing in reverse. Mm-hmm. So if you're not sure or you don't have chemistry or you're new or your offensive line pieces have changed or your scheme in front of you have changed and you have that moment of uncertainty of, ah, where's your leverage? Should I go inside? Should I go outside? And you choose wrong, the run gets blown up. And it's the same with the run fit on the other side, what you're talking about. Which gap do you have? Should I play the inside? Should I play the outside? Sometimes both guys on the Bucks defense right now are unsure. They'll both shade the inside. The outside's wide open. Mm-hmm. It looks like you could drive a truck through it and it ends up being a 12 or 15-yard gain. Sometimes eight or nine yards before contact yeah. with the safeties coming down. That's a good way to lose football games. And really what determines it, just to kind of put a bow on this, what determines a lot of the time for an edge, if he's supposed to be inside or outside, is where the safeties are. Like you always set the secondary first, and the front is going to get dictated by the coverage. If you're in a too high coverage, if you're in quarters, if you're in uh, cover two, or in some variations of when you're rolling down into cover three, if there is a safety that is, you know, basically at the at the edge of the tackle box or wider edge can feel free to shoot inside because the safety typically is going to be a force player. Mm -hmm. If you're in a one high, like a defined single high coverage look pre-snap, like that old Seattle cover three where, you know, you got Earl Thomas fucking 20 yards down the field and bam, bam's like six yards up. And he's basically just another linebacker. At that point, the edge is typically going to be the force player and everybody's going to fit inside of him. So, having an understanding of where your secondary is, what the coverage call is, and how the secondary is supposed to fit based on that, that is typically what determines what an edge is supposed to do against the run. And their edges, so far this year, are really shitty at that. And I don't know why. And you combine that with Devin White not being able to get off a block to save his life, all of a sudden you end up with a formerly dominant Bucks run defense being averaged at best so far this year. And kind of without that little building block to to count on, it's it's been rough for them. So I don't I don't know what the fix is here. I'm going to trust the coaching staff to to get it right, but it's been rough. That being said, though, to my benefit, <laughs> to your benefit, <laughs> still had a good slip. Uh, if you want to join us for this Thursday night live stream, we're going to be doing hopefully similar type of stuff to this uh, for Eagles Texans, uh, which God, I don't know what the spread for that game is, but it's probably probably not pretty, probably enormous. Um, we're going to fill out another slip for that game. I'm going to be starting on my film study for that tonight to try to you know figure out the best possible slip I can get. Hopefully, we can get another four out of five, maybe a five out of five, or five out of five. Yeah. Stop by the stream on Thursday for that game. We're going to be going through it live and uh, fill out some slips with us. If you want to use our promo code Bootleg. That'll give you a deposit match up to $100 over on Prize Picks. You can fill out slips for the Thursday game, or really any of the Sunday games or the Monday game. Whatever you want to do with it, uh, it's 100 bucks. You can use any way you want to. So, uh, yeah, stop by Thursday for that. And with that, EJ, let's get to our next game, which this was a 9.30 a.m. game for us yep. Sunday. Um, started out kind of gross. Ended up kind of entertaining. Yeah. I have my thoughts on it, but first things first, I want to get your thoughts on the weird uh, conundrum that is 
Denver, Jacksonville. Yeah, being on the East Coast, I was rubbing my eyes with coffee when this one first came on, was watching it not super closely, and Russ started out much like Russ has been this season. Yeah. And it looked like, okay, you know, and this is why you watch football, because I looked at it, he threw bad pick early, and I was like, okay. So the problem continues in Denver. Well, did some other things, got going in the morning, started getting wound up for the day's worth of games. And lo and behold, Russ started playing like an NFL quarterback again. (laughs) And it was pretty cool to see. So after the sort of not great rocky start in the first quarter, Russ returned to playing like Russ does. He started hitting people. He started distributing the ball. He started looking not gun-shy and scared, which is the way we've seen him play the entire season. He started developing some rapport with his receivers, most notably Greg Dulcich. One Greg Dulcich. Tight end out of UCLA, who we saw in practice. Uh, you, I think, compared him to a moose? Yo, he's part moose, 100%. Part moose, right. That's in his bloodline. But the thing Greg Dulcich, as a former wide receiver, does really well is this seam ball. He is a mm-hmm. seam ball weapon. He is deceptively fast in a straight line. He gets on top of people pretty quickly. He's got great length and size. And Russ started hitting him down the seam. And it was really his breakout game. And this game started to go back and forth. And it was an entertaining game. I'm really happy for the fans in London, quite frankly, because this didn't look like a great game going in on the schedule. (laughs) And they got to see some really good football players on both sides. They got to see some really fun and exciting back and forth NFL action. And if they weren't NFL fans before, they probably will be now. So it was cool to see Russ come back because the answer in Denver, if he didn't, was, I don't know. Yeah. Like, nobody knows. Everybody's been saying, so we signed him to this huge contract. If this doesn't work out, what are we going to do? They, they don't really have a choice. There's no <laughs> They're answer. Locked so yeah. it was really fun to see him come back, to see him leverage guys like KJ Hamler, who we've liked for a long time and has been close uh, a couple of times, really having a pretty good game. And, you know, we got to see Trevor do some great things early. Russ catch up, take the lead. Trevor do some more interesting things. It was a fun football game. Interesting is a way to put it. Well, <laughs> you and I have a similar take on Trevor, which is Trevor's still still doing all the things that made him a first overall pick. Yeah. He can throw an absolute seed. That, that Farhash touchdown early in the first quarter was ridiculous. Ridiculous. I made my aunt watch it this morning. Oh, my God. I was looking at the game over coffee, looking at the replay, and I was like, ooh. And she's like, ooh, what? And I was like, well, come here. This is an absolute seed to the corner. This is a great throw. And she was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So even the casual fan can appreciate that Trevor is an amazing quarterback, but the thing that he needs to do better, or the two things I would say he needs to do better are the little things, the sort of normal or what we would call regular plays, little dump-offs. He was throwing, he threw a couple behind receivers. He had one with, I think it was Evan Ingram coming out of the backfield. He threw it back shoulders. He was trying to get left. It's just awkward. And it's like, Trevor, you have all the physical skill in the world. Mentally, I know you know where that play is going. He He just didn't get it there. He kind of guided it, whatever. And the other one is a lot of what we saw Josh do in the second half of the Bills game, which are make those decisions that Josh would have made 
two years ago. Yeah, three, yeah, or three at this point. Yeah. But yeah, and you get down, you're in the red zone, you're rolling out, all the players are coming with you, the end zone's packing up. Don't force it. Just throw it out of bounds. No, he forced it. And an interception. And it costs Trevor and the Jags in this game. So you see these flashes of brilliance with him, and then you see this, ooh, come on, mm. that, that should be the easy part by now. You should understand that you just toss that ball out, come back, the next down and go for it so it was an entertaining game we got to see some great things from both teams russell's return was great dolce's breakout was great the broncos running game was pretty solid they looked like a pretty well coached team which was fun in this one um from the jags we got to see flashes but they couldn't complete it and again from a disastrous first quarter russ comes back and the broncos win this game i think when i look at the jags I see a diet version of what the Bills used to be, which is a very talented quarterback. Every physical tool, great guy, team loves him, and they don't quite have the talent around him yet. And remember, like Josh Allen, he really (laughs) needed that Stephon Diggs trade to happen. Like that, that really was when the switch came on, when he got a true number one. We've said this even at the at the time in the offseason. Like, Jacksonville got a whole bunch of number twos, but they didn't pay for a number one. They still don't have a number one. And you're really only going to do that either by making a crazy trade for a guy like Stephon Diggs or by getting lucky and drafting one, or you do what the Eagles do and you you fleece the Titans and you get A.J. Brown for a first-round pick. But, you know, that's <laughs> the Eagles. They're different. Seems like a Howie thing. But, like, you need you need that type of weapon to really unlock that type of talent at quarterback. And I see so many of the mistakes that young Josh made where he knew that he he had talent around him, but not like elite talent. And so he would just be like, I got to do everything myself. And that throw, again, it was first and 10 in the low red zone. Trevor, if it's not there, throw it away. Throw it away. You got two more downs. And, and he just he wanted to get it right now. And he did it at midfield. Two times, yes. He, he was getting chased. The play was breaking down. And he clearly went, nah, I'm going to whip this past the stick so it's not a penalty. He's got it in him, and he understands it. And it's like, that's the key situation. You're in the red zone. Do it now. Midfield is great. Continue the drive. Just do the same thing. No, I just I, I see I see so much young Josh and him. We were just like, I want to be a hero. I want to be the guy that does the thing mm. to put it in the least yep. technical way possible. Nope. But it's not there yet. He needs more talent around him. Um, there is some talent. But again, they don't have that alpha number one receiver that, you know, when when you're when the chips are down, it's third and seven. I need a play. Like, he doesn't have anybody he can really go to for that type of situation. And it shows because when he tries to force it and he makes mistakes. Like, the red zone offense for the Jags this year has been a mess because of Trevor constantly trying to force it. Like, that pick he threw against Denver is, like, the third time this year he's thrown that same pick. Which makes it all the more troubling because we've seen it and it's not just like, oh, we saw that last year and you forgot and you regressed. It's like, we saw it in this week. We saw you, it two weeks ago. You skipped a week. <laughs> you did it again. You skipped two weeks. You did it again. And it cost your team. This was a tight enough game mm-hmm. that if that's a touchdown instead of a pick, it's very different. So while he's trying to play hero ball, he's also creating 
ponds that he has to jump mm-hmm. over. And he needs to eliminate the creation of those negative plays by doing simple things like completing short passes more easily, throwing the ball out of bounds in the red zone. And then he won't have as high a wall to climb. So it's like, yep. don't make the wall so high, you can easily climb over it. And they probably would have won this game if he had. So he's getting there. It's fun to watch. However, it can be frustrating just like it was for Josh in the early years. And on the Broncos note, um, I think their next game, I think they're on a bye week, and then I think their next game is the Titans at Tennessee, mm-hmm. November 13th. So they got a nice post-London bye. They got a couple weeks to prepare for the Titans. By then, I'm sure Ryan Tannehill will probably be back. Malik Willis looked yeah. <laughs> in his like in a his... quarterback that's farther uh, <laughs> farther behind yeah. than Trevor with a lot less starting yeah. experience. His rookie debut was certainly something, but when you have Derrick Henry getting 32 carries, you, know, you can still win a game like that. But um, yeah, the Broncos have two weeks to prepare for Tennessee. Um, I'm very fascinated to see what they have in store. There's a desperately needed buy for them to do a reset, hopefully for Russ to get healthy from whatever's ailing him now this week. <laughs> I'm sure there's something. Um, but yeah, I, they're alive, which at this point is all Broncos fans can hope for. They're alive and they're and, functioning. And they didn't have to fire their coach at And they half-time, didn't have to fire their coach at halftime. Which looked like a real possibility after the first quarter, because let's be honest, uh, the Denver fans' patience is extremely thin. They are tatted. Oh, they point. are frothing at the mouth. Yeah. The fact that they put up like 20 points in this game. Oh, my God. It was like a, a holiday for them. They were overjoyed besides themselves. They got 21 points. Because, let's see, the rest of their schedule, I'm going to look it up right now. Because it's <laughs> they were like last in points per game by a not insignificant margin. No. They've done 23. No, 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 that was preseason. <laughs> yeah. They've done uh, 16, 16, 11, 23, 9, 16, 9, 21. Yeah, it they needed this. Let let's yeah. just say they needed this in the biggest way. The organization needed this, the fans needed this, Rust needed this, I'm sure, to come back and, you know, kind of go, "No, no, no, no. Okay, I'm good at my job. Like I can do well, this. I'm decent." Right. I'm decent <laughs> is a huge step up from where he's been playing basically the entire season. Yeah. Even when we saw him in the opener in Seattle, he didn't look at all like himself. He looked confused, no. and it, it's just sort of off-putting to see a guy who's played so well for so long play so poorly, not just like, oh, it's a little bit of rust, or, oh, it's a little bit of, you know, mesh issues with the new receipt. No, no, it was complete, like, what? And, you know, is he washed? Is he over the hill? And to see him come back and play decent football was a huge step up. Yeah, it was a welcome sight. Yes. Uh, all right, let's talk about two functioning offenses, shall we? Uh, Dolphins-Lions, which we expected this to be a relatively high-scoring affair, mm-hmm. and it was. And I had a lot of, of interesting takeaways from this game. Number one, the Dolphins' receiving core is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Tyreek is insane. Jalen Waddle's insane. Gusecki, now that he's, you know, just basically they're conceding the fact that he's a big <laughs> slot he's and they're of, using that way. Out of blocking jail. You know, uh, the run game, it... it it's, it's looking exactly like we expected the run game to look in terms of like, oh, we're going to do some really crafty toss plays and, you know, get good angles to the edge and break off some explosives that way. Like, this offense is just straight up fun. And I know they got 
a little bit of a rocky start. They went down four, uh, 14 nothing because mm-hmm. of a kind of weird fumble, uh, and Detroit got the ball back and everything like that. But, you know, they, they came back and just ripped through points easily with chunk plays. You know, you got a couple to Tyreek. You got some really nice ones to Waddle. Waddle made an insane catch, by the way, that kind of like – pluck where Tua was rolling out to his left and threw it across his body and Waddle just plucked that thing out of the air like this was the showcase for you surround a young quarterback regardless of talent level like if, if, if the quarterback is just accurate and a good decision maker you surround him with an elite receiving core and a well-designed run game and just a decent defense and you can put up some crazy ass wins I loved everything that I saw here um and I, I think that if I was a Dolphins fan, the Tua versus Herbert discussion at this point, I wouldn't even care because I would just be having fun. My offense is explosive. It puts up points. It can look as sexy or as not sexy as you want it to. At the end of the day, we're putting up 30-plus when our guys are healthy. You can't really argue with that. No, and I don't care much about the Tua Herbert thing at this point because it's done that is water under the bridge it is sunk cost you're not getting Herbert anytime soon you have Tua so what is that and this was a pretty good week to take a snapshot and say it is this it can be this and we watched that game rewatched that game this morning and there are a lot of things to talk about sort of aesthetically about how Tua plays quarterback but sometimes we tell you all not to stat watch and there's a reason, right? You want to watch film. You want to be able to have the nuance of how the game progressed. Was it a good picker? Did it get tipped? Is it not the quarterback's fault? All those things matter, but sometimes you do just go back to the stats and say, no matter how it looked, he rolled up well over 300 yards. He put up points when he needed to, he moved the offense, he completed drives. He did really well. Now you can say, oh, he left a couple of deep balls short. That's true. Absolutely. But did you see the one right after that where he layered it into the end zone on a nice little loop and it hit the receiver in the chest and it looked easy? It looked like a run through, not a live play. So there's a lot to be said about that. I do want to give a shout out, a quick shout out to the Dolphins offensive line. They provided him very solid protection. He had a lot of good pockets to throw from. That 300-plus yards that he put up started with the performance of the offensive line. They've they've come together. They have been, I don't want to say much maligned, but they have been maligned. And this week they played really, really well. So not only did they power the passing game, they also opened up a lot of those holes in outside zone and the run game that we saw where running backs can get to the outside and just pick a lane and go shooting (laughs) up for 8 or 10 yards. So great job by the the Dolphins offensive line. But I want to talk about the Lions offense because they can put up points on anybody. They have showed it all year that their offense, with their array of talent, Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkins. When they're healthy, they can put up right. You know, you need Swift and you need Amon Ross on the field. Yeah, (laughs) it's harder to put up points when you're on the bench, but... When this offense comes out firing, and again, another team that's invested in a very powerful, young, talented offensive line in front of Jared Goff. And Jared Goff is good enough that when you do that, when you provide him a stalwart offensive line in front of him that pass blocks and protects well, you provide him with multiple weapons at different positions, like this offense can score points on 
anybody. But <laughs> the defense will allow points to everybody. Yeah. So this is going to be a boat race or else situation every week. And that's a lot of pressure to put on either phase of your team. That, you know, being a Bears fan, it's the opposite, right? The defense has got to be perfect because the offense isn't going to score very many well, points. I don't know, last couple of weeks. Typically, <laughs> typically. Last couple of weeks has turned that around, which is great. But they've got to tighten that up to compete. And you and I talked about it this week that, you know, the draft is sort of everything. And if you hit on draft picks, you do well. And if you don't hit on draft picks, you don't do well. And Levi Onwuzurike, who we both really like, was a little bit underwhelming. In his previous season, he got hurt this year, and he hasn't been in there. And Aiden Hutchinson has looked kind of average. He's he's had his he's flashes. Okay. He's had okay. his flashes, but again, he's the only guy on that defensive line right now. When he's good, though, is when – and the, <laughs> you talked about this in an interview before the draft. Yep. He said Mike McDonald, when Mike McDonald spent one year – he's now the Ravens defensive coordinator, was the Michigan defensive coordinator last year. And when McDonald came in, he transitioned him from a three-point, four-point stance, like hand of the dirt defensive end, to essentially an outside linebacker. Like, he played the same spot, but from a two-point stance, uh, because McDonald likes to have a big, tall edge standing up so they can get vision on the ball. Um, and some guys, especially when they're that tall, are, they're a lot more comfortable in terms of their get-off uh, because they don't have to, like, lurch up That's out of right. a three-point stance. Mm -hmm. And Hutchinson said he was a lot more comfortable that way. And the Lions played him, hand in the dirt, and then coming into this last week, started to realize they need to transition him. And he does look better, and even from a statistical perspective, like pressure rate, like everything looks better statistically when he's in a two-point stance compared to a three-point stance, yeah. even in the NFL. They need to keep doing that with him because as a down defensive end, he's okay. As essentially a linebacker, he's actually pretty fucking good. He's better, and yeah. he was better in college as well. If you look at the percentage of, you know, what we call two-point stance versus three-point stance, it matches from college to the pro. Again, completely different teammates, completely different scheme. He's just better when he's standing up, mm -hmm. and there's some stubbornness. We talked about it a little bit on the other side of the ball, on the, on the Dolphins' side of the ball, like when... McDaniel came in as the coach of the Dolphins. He's like, hey, Mike Kosecki, I'm going to make you block because I just came from having George Kittle, and he blocks. So if you're going to be great, you're going to block. And Mike Kosecki actually said in the press, like, now I have to block. Like, I didn't have to block before. So I'm learning how, and he was doing the good teammate thing and whatever. And I think McDaniel and the Dolphins have finally realized, Kosecki, mm, kind of like Isaiah Likely, the guy we talked about earlier, is just... A big slot. He is a glorified wide receiver, and he's great at it. Let's just let him do that. I think the Lions staff is doing a little bit of that with Hutchison going, you know, we'd love him to be basically a swappable five, but we need to put him in a two-point stance and let him loose because when we do, look what happens. So he's going to need some help. Rodriguez got his first sack in this game. It's my guy. Huge, <laughs> it's my guy. Huge fan of his play. Yeah. Um, Jeff Akuda, I've talked about, he's mm -hmm. playing very well, but there's, there's not enough. If you want to talk about surrounding a quarterback with offensive weapons, you need to surround those guys, one at each level, strangely enough, who are playing pretty well with more. You gotta, you gotta sort of feed that. And they've tried in the past, the first defense when this regime changed, or sorry, the first draft when this regime changed was focused on defense. They didn't all hit. 
And we're seeing the results of that now, which is they can score on anybody, but they can't stop anybody either. I do want to, uh, you know, because the, the Lions did actually um, get slowed down quite a bit in, in the second half. And there was a fourth down, like a fourth and two, where they, they almost hit it. And it would have been a big play and they wouldn't have got shut out. But the ball was just left a little inside. Tough catch. It was like three inches off the receiver's hands. That That stuff happens. But... For the rest of the second half, um, there was actually a pretty significant scheme switch for the Dolphins. And in the second half, um, they pretty much dropped all the zero and all the cover one they were playing. <laughs> and even they went down in, in percentage in terms of cover two, and they just played cover three. They played cover three 75% of the time in the second half across all those drives. And it worked. And, and it worked. <laughs> it, it was it was fascinating because you you look at the first half Lions and like when they're you know hitting deep crosses against man coverage, which typically like yeah those are going to work against man coverage. And um, there was a couple snaps against zero that they 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 played. Uh, they had some good answers for zero. And then the Dolphins did the same thing. And I, I it's so funny. I recognized it from uh, the Bills tape that I watched, uh, the Josh Allen uh, versus Miami film room episode that I did where they would show blitz and then they would kind of, they call it two roll and they would roll into a, a, a different version of cover two where like a, a guy would come down and play the flat hard from over the top. And then you got Javon Holland just hauling ass to try to, to try to play the deep half behind it. Um, at least I think it was two roll. I, I can't, I can't remember if it was inverter roll off the top of my head, but either way, the answer that the bills eventually developed for that because the one common thing they share is you have a safety who's walked up in the line of scrimmage and then trying to play a deep half. The answer for it, regardless of how exactly they get into the look, is smash, which sounds typical because, like, yeah, they're playing cover two. You play smash. But no, no, no. This is different because normally if you're running smash, which is a corner route and then yeah. some threat in the flat underneath, if you're running that against a normal cover two look, the safety is going to be playing it from over the top. And so if the safety is playing it really tight, they can squeeze on that corner route, and if you're late on it, it can be a rough day for the quarterback. But the way they got into cover two with Holland bailing out from the line of scrimmage and trying to get over the top, so he's trying to get depth and width at the same time while basically running side-by-side -side parallel with that seven route, there's no possible way to stop that throw from that coverage look it is not possible unless the flat defender has crazy instincts and makes a superhuman play and just drops and just drops which yep. is not that's not how the coverage is designed because he's supposed to come down to the flat because they're baiting the throw to the flat but that's a break it's yeah. it is unfathomably hard yeah. to stop that throw from that coverage and that to me was like oh they definitely watch what they did against the bills and they were looking for it where when, when everybody's crowded up, because based on down and distance, you can be pretty sure whether or not it's zero or whether they're dropping out based on down and distance. They saw it. They called smash because they're like, oh, this is fucking cover two all the way. It was cover two. Got a big plate of Hawkinson out of it because yep. he broke the tackle on an easy throw. Got like a 30, 40-yard gain, something like that. And then in the second half, as I mentioned, they're like, yeah, we're not going to do all that zero and cover two stuff. We're just going to play cover three and make you beat us straight up. And they couldn't do it. And so that, I think, uh, that actually, for me, I was more impressed with the Dolphins' defense than anything else 
because once they kind of got out of the whole like, oh, we're going to out scheme you thing, and they just played straight up with talent, they actually were able to out talent the the Lions' offense, which is a very talented unit. And if they can do that, plus having a great offense that's super mm-hmm. explosive, like December, Miami Buffalo, that's a fucking game. That's going to be a rematch that everybody should be watching because that's real. That is real translatable stuff. We love their defensive talent. Uh, you know, as much as we talked about both sides of the Lions, we only really talked about the offensive side of the Dolphins, but they got dudes on the defense, mm-hmm. right? They got Javon Holland. It was a bummer that Brandon Jones went out for the year, but they've got Javon Holland. They got Zayvon Howard. They got Jalen Phillips. They got they got a bunch of dudes on defense, and they know how to rotate them. They They are classic for bringing crazy pressures and – you know, running zero or zero sim or whatever yeah, else. Yeah. Like, like they have a defense. They're not. They're they're a little bit of the head of the Lions in terms of the development, right? They got the offensive line pieces. They they got the quarterback. Now they got all the offensive weapons. Plus, they've stacked some defensive weapons. They're there. They're a team that will compete. You talked about the Ravens a lot at the top of the show being one of those teams that might not be favored, but would you be surprised if they won? I think the Dolphins are exactly the same way. All right, that EJ. Again, we're only talking about the games that we watched this week, but we do have a couple a couple notes in. Uh, it's not even three fun. It's one fun. We're calling it week. one fun. We're calling it one fun. We have a couple notes from other games, um, just from from some of the highlights that we saw. That I then went back and because the all twenty two came out this morning, so I watched some of the all twenty two uh, for some of this. We have a couple notes for one fun from other games. Let's get into that. All right, EJ, my one fun for this week, Kyle Pitts. As you know, I did a film room episode on Kyle Pitts <laughs> this week, talking about his lack of usage and all the problems that have been going into the Kyle Pitts experience this year. Came into the week with 16 catches for less than 180 yards and one touchdown in six games. It was a horrific season. In fantasy, he was like tight end 36 or tw- at least 27, somewhere around there. Uh, which for tight ends is horrific. It, it was a bad year. Um, and I'll be honest, I started him in fantasy any, anyway this week. You know why? I do know why. Because I believe in the Coleman curse. And he came through for me. He rewarded my faith. Five catches, 80 yards, touchdown. Of course. Had a hell of a week. Um, that was my Hail Mary. I made that whole episode entirely for my fantasy team because I am fighting for my fucking life, EJ. I was three and four. Okay, and uh, I have Kyle Pitts in like four different leagues, and I I desperately needed him to go off, and he did. There's only one league I didn't start him in, um, and and the other three I did, and I did pretty well. But I want to talk about how that happened. They used him, ironically, I'm not saying the Falcons watched the episode, I'm not that egotistical, but what I am saying is that I might not be as big of an idiot as I thought I was, Mm -hmm. because all the stuff they did with him in that game was the stuff that I said they could do to up his production, namely using him as the mid-level threat on Flood and not just hanging out in the flat the whole game or blocking or anything like that. You know, they they, they got him, um, they would line him up outside and run glance routes to him where it's like, hey, the corner's off and outside leverage, let's just use your big-ass frame to our advantage and get free catches over the middle. They did that. And I'm like, first of all, hooray, 
thank God. <laughs> I really needed that. But B, where's that been for seven weeks? Yeah. I'm hoping that this is going to be the turnaround that we need to inspire the Falcons coaching staff to use their fourth overall pick the way he should be used, and they got a win out of it. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. The whole, hey, we have a really big, fast, talented running quarterback. We should have some designed quarterback runs for uh, him. Just a couple, yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden, Justin Fields goes off. It's and like it's 125 like, yards or something like that. Yeah. Right, and we have this huge guy that's basically an X-wide receiver in an, you know, <laughs> hyped up, pumped up, juiced up tight ends body. We, we should probably use that frame on the outside to leverage against cornerbacks because they're going to be helpless. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. We should probably not have him blocking like 65% of the time. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably profit if he used him like that. So that's what it reminds me Sometimes of. Sometimes NFL coaches overthink shit, man. Sometimes, but they stopped doing that, and you benefited. And I'd say something about your fantasy production, but we'll just leave that where it lays. It's It's been a year, EJ. It's been a year. I'm I'll well aware. <laughs> All right, what's your one fun? My one fun is Tony Pollard's moment in the sun. We've talked... Uh, great length, I think, on this show about Tony Pollard's potential and the fact that he is more efficient and more explosive than Zeke is both and has mm -hmm. been for a couple of years. Now, Zeke's been struggling with health. He looks back to health a little bit this year. His spin move is back. It's been fun to watch Zeke again. And Zeke is much better than him in pass protection. Zeke was yeah. one of the greatest pass-protecting running backs I've ever scouted in college, and that is not any kind of hyperbole. He looked like a polished pro pass protector at Ohio State. Outside of that, when the ball gets handed off, or thrown for that matter, Pollard is better with it than Zeke has been for a while. Zeke gets hurt out of, out of his shadow. Tony Pollard, 14 carries, 131 yards, 9.4 per touch, and three tutties. So he was the offense. Yes, yeah, as we said, like, hey, if you were featuring him, or as we've been sort of pounding on the table, you should be featuring him, this is what's possible for the Cowboys offense. And boy, can they use that. It's nice to have Dak back. They're starting to rebuild that sort of synergy between quarterback and receivers. But if you can hand it off to Pollard and get 9.4 per touch, your offense is going to be efficient and explosive. So it's good news for the Cowboys, great news for Tony Pollard. And like you said, maybe we're not as stupid as we thought we were. I'm pulling up his contract right now because I'm pretty sure, yes, he is. He is a free agent this coming year. And I don't know if Dallas is going to do the same thing they did with Zeke where you know, they paid him a shitload of money, and then they, a couple of years later, it's like, oh, no, we can't afford Amari Cooper. You know, they, they got into trouble once already yeah. paying running backs. I don't know if they're going to do it again. But, um, yeah, Tony Pollard's really fucking good. And he's going to be on the free agent market, and somebody's going to pay him. Whether it's Dallas or somebody else, somebody's going to pay him, like, seven, eight million a year. And they should. And they should. He's really fucking good. Uh, all right. Time has come, EJ. Time has come. The bootleg. Shot of the week. All right. Uh, shot of the week winner, possibly no 
surprise to a lot of people. Minka Fitzpatrick, a veteran of the segment many times over, for basically the same hit many times <laughs> over, which is somebody trying to go over the middle in the low red zone and him absolutely detonating somebody. Does it basically four or five times a year, and people keep trying to test him there. Uh-huh. But uh, once again, uh, the winner, Minka Fitzpatrick, was a somewhat tight vote. He only did Sorry. win by one vote. But he managed to pull it out. So, uh, Minka, first of all, cheers to you, EJ. Ooh, you got yours chilled. Yeah, I throw mine over ice, as you is typical. So it always looks like, it looks like it's a really yeah. fat shot. It's not. It's well, Mine's a fat shot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That actually really... The coffee, like, really comes out in that. It does. shoot it. Um, so what we just shot, by the way... We met uh, these wonderful gentlemen at the the Bills tailgate last night. Um, they run a whiskey called Thirteen Monkeys, which is a a local Buffalo distillery, and uh, it's all it's run by uh, uh, former service members, uh, you know, in the Army, in particular uh, Sergeant Major Sergeant Major Jaskula, who uh, started the company as a tribute to his best friend and battle buddy, uh, which is uh, I have a name here, Sergeant uh, Chris Dill who is a fellow drill sergeant. He was KIA on April 4th, 2005, uh, over in the War on Terror. And uh, so it's called 13 Monkeys because 445 adds up to the 13 stars on the badge. And uh, they run a nonprofit uh, that benefits um, all the family members of everybody who is KIA in the War on Terror. Um, And, you know, they honor local military vets and anybody who's an emergency responder and they make a damn fine whiskey. A lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but many, too many, in my opinion, like local distilleries. It's they buy it from a company called MGP, which is a major distillery in Indiana, and then they kind of like rebottle it. Like, no, this is not MGP stuff. They make it themselves. They age it themselves. It is really, really good whiskey, and for a good cause, run by really good dudes. Like we 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 hung out with Sergeant Major Jaskula. Uh, at, at the tailgate over a mud lot in Bill's Mafia is a diehard Bill's Mafia member um, and just an all-around great guy who makes a great whiskey. So if you're a Buffalo native, they sell it at local liquor, uh, liquor stores. Excuse me. Uh, I can't even fucking talk. I've been drinking all, all of day. a sudden. I know. Alcohol catches up to you by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but 13 Monkeys, look for it. Really, really, really good stuff for a great cause. And also, shout out to Minka for earning a wonderful shot. Now... Nominees for this week. We couldn't narrow it down to four, so we got five. Number one, Kirby Joseph. Again. Second week in a row. Second week in a row, Kirby Joseph. Uh, forcing a fumble. That's all he knows how to do, apparently, <laughs> is upend ball carriers and force fumbles in dramatic fashion. Uh, this one on Braylon Sanders' first NFL game for Sanders. Yeah, I think, it was right? unfortunate. Braylon Sanders been on the practice squad, got called up for this game. First game, welcome to the NFL moment, was versus Kirby Joseph. He drilled him down in the red zone. Ball came loose. Lions recovered. Huge play. And Kirby Joseph, multiple week nominee, multiple weeks in a row. Yeah, he's a, he's a fun a fun player for them. And I, what was your book on him when he was coming out? That he was a hitter. Who's <laughs> <was> super Beyond. <laughs> super athletic and a hitter. Yeah. Like that he had really good physical traits and that he would bring it. Right. A lot of guys have great physical traits but aren't able to package that up at the point of attack or, or use them all in concert. Kirby Joseph is, when it all comes together, it is hard to hold on to the ball. He hits you that well. 
Uh, second one up, uh, Bruce Irvin making another appearance in the NFL. Uh, Hawks re-signed him, and you know he kind of pulled the the veteran move of I'm going to take the quarterback and throw him into the running back and make the tackle that way. Uh, kind of got a bank shot there if you're a billiards player on Saquon Barkley. Not that it was like the biggest tackle in the world, but it was fucking hilarious. So it earned the nomination just for that alone. Yeah, it's on the pure fun meter. It was way up here, so there's way no way there. to leave it out. Uh, Xavier Howard, who EJ insisted we leave this one in just because he's an unabashed Xavier Howard stand, uh, came off on zone coverage. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was the mid-level threat on flood, and he just came down and put a shoulder into him, immediately flattened him. To his credit, Amon Ra popped up immediately, but it was a pretty good stick from Xavier. Yeah. Uh, option number four, go from Xavier to Xavier. Xavier McKinney uh, coming wide open completely untouched on a really nifty fire zone. Uh, got a big sack on Geno Smith. Didn't even see it coming at all. Um, massive, massive stick. Legal stick, but also just love the design of the pressure. You know, he kind of was hanging out there in the slot, kind of floating, being like, oh, I'm not coming, I'm not coming, I'm not coming. Uh, you know, immediately darted inside there in the B gap. And it was just great design. They slid the other way, so there's nobody to account for him. Huge hit. And then uh, fifth option, Dylan Cole. Making a random appearance on Shout little, of the Week. A little bit of Titans love running straight through a ball carrier, just juggernaut style. Didn't wrap up, didn't really even raise his hands, just ran him the hell over. That's the thing that got me, is he really didn't use his arms no, at just, all. It was just straight up, like, only using shoulder and head. And it's not how you're taught to tackle, but it worked. Highly effective in this particular case. <laughs> Uh, so you can vote for all those in the pinned comment down below. Uh, whatever your favorite option is, throw that down there. And then uh, we got one last thing in this, what we thought was going to be an abbreviated episode, and it's not an abbreviated and, episode. And inebriated episode? <laughs> inebriated. Oh, God. Don't even get me started. Between okay. yesterday and today. Yeah, I think it's kind of like you're just I'm not reawakening the demons from yesterday. I am not drinking for a while. It's been It's been a weekend. Uh, all right, let's get to the watch list. All right, so Bills-Jets is an obvious one. Division rivalry, Bills, enough said. Jets, up and down performances, but are still winning and feel like they're over the hump to becoming the team that matches their talent. Dolphins-Bears is a really interesting game to me. Dolphins have been playing extremely well. If you'd showed me this matchup, Three months ago, I would have said, I really don't want to watch that. I think the Dolphins are going to blow the Bears out. Bears have played really well, even though they lost this week. They've scored points. Justin Fields is showing some, I would say, massive step improvement after the mini-buy. This becomes an interesting game. Titans-Chiefs. Uh, differentiation in style between a Mike Vrabel team. Wow, that is a kind way to put it. Mike Vrabel coach team. <laughs> And an Andy Reid coach team. Do I expect the Titans to win? I don't. Do I expect the Titans to hit just like Dylan Cole mm. and inflict some punishment on the Chiefs? Maybe keep it even in what I will call a clash of styles. Yeah, it might be. And the oddly fascinated game this week, Panthers-Bengals. Again, this is much like Dolphins-Bears. If you'd put this matchup up even a month ago, I would have said, not at all interested. Bengals are going to wipe the table with him. Still think the Bengals will win, but the Panthers have played with renewed vigor under interim coach Steve Wilkes. P.J. Walker has shown some life. 
He just got named the starting quarterback. Not a huge surprise. All of a sudden, this becomes a maybe sort of interesting game. So oddly fascinated by Panthers-Bengals. Saying the Titans and Chiefs have different styles is like saying a Cessna and a SR-71 Blackbird are just mildly different. <laughs> a little I, bit of a gully there. I try and be kind. <laughs> I try and be kind. And that being said, I just know that Derrick Henry's going to get 300 yards and fucking carry him to win now because I talk shit. It's the reverse. Every reverse time I talk Coleman? shit on the Titans, they win. I Re- swear to God. It's the reverse, reverse Coleman curse. Oh, all right. We're skipping last call this week because, again, we were like an hour and 15 minutes into this. And we only talked about three games because, of course, we went down a rabbit hole because that's just what we do. Or multiple rabbit holes. Multiple rabbit holes. Again, shout out to 13 Monkeys. They make a wonderful product for a great cause run by great people. Shout out to uh, Montucky Cold Snacks. Fantastic beer, which... Is probably distributed in your local area, I would say. Montucky's widely distributed. You can get it in the Northeast. And, of course, out in the Pacific Northwest, it's from Montana, hence the Montucky. Uh, I can get it anywhere at my local grocery stores. Uh, one of my favorite things about Montucky is they give 8% of their profits back to nonprofits and started off as clean water causes, but they've expanded that. Mm. So, you know, beer with a cause. I didn't know that. Yeah, very solid stuff. All right, I feel like I'm doing good by drinking for once. <laughs> Twice. Twice today. <laughs> uh, all right, we're going to get out of here. Again, we got a live stream, Eagles-Texans on Thursday. Show up for that. We're going to have another prize pick slip filled out. I'm going to be doing my film study to get ready for that tonight. And uh, I don't know what the spread is, but if it's anything over, like, 14. It's 13? Oh, smash Philly. <laughs> 100%. Oh, my God, not even a discussion. Smash Philly 13. Let's go. We'll see you guys Thursday. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.